Hello and welcome to Weeb Spawn. We talk about anything and everything related to anime and gaming. We are by no means experts, just huge fans. I'm your host Bobby, and once again, I'll be writing solo for this episode. In today's episode, we are going to be talking about no game, no life. And as always, spoilers ahead. So, if you haven't heard of No Game, No Life, I highly suggest you look into it. It is a fantastic anime, one that I thoroughly think deserves a second season, and I really hope that it does get one. I think there's rumors of a season two, but it was never confirmed. But if you look at it, you'll... I was almost put off by the first episode because the art style is very different to all other animes I've like pretty much ever seen. It's very colorful, uh, but it's meant to be like that because it is a world based on games. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. What is No Game No Life? It's a Japanese light novel series by Yu Kamiya and was published under M. MF Bunko J imprint with 12 novels released between April 25th, 2012 and February 25th of 2023. The author and his wife, Mashiro Hiragai, adapted the novels into a manga series for Monthly Comic Alive in 2013. Later that year, an anime adaptation of No Game No Life by Madhouse was announced. It premiered at ATX between April and July of 2014 and was simulcast outside Japan by Crunchyroll. An anime film adaptation of the six-volume No Game No Life Zero premiered on July 15, 2017. A spin-off manga, No Game No Life Please, focusing on the character Izuna, ran from May 27, 2015 to November 27, 2017. The No Game No Life franchise was localized in North America by several companies. Seven Seas Entertainment licensed the manga, Sentai Filmworks the anime, and Yen Press the light novel series. Uh, The series began receiving most of its recognition in 2014 when it appeared on Kono light novel Ga Sugoi and had its volume placed on one of the top 30 selling novels in Japan. It was reported in May of 2017 that over 3 million printed copies were in circulation. The English localization of the manga and anime were also well received. The manga adaptation appeared on the New York Times manga bestsellers. So it overall seemed pretty good success. Yet I feel like not a lot of people really know about uh, this anime which is a shame i think because like i said it's actually a pretty good one and you can tell it's not over <laughs> the if you watch this you you know how long <laughs> we've been waiting for a season two it's oh i just can't wait for season two so if you guys don't know uh no game no live is about centered around two siblings sora and shiro uh they are known in the online gaming community just as Blank, as they always lead their name Blank, and they have been undefeated in every game they've ever played. Essentially, Blank never loses. That's the whole like theory or the whole gimmick behind this entire series. So while they're stuck in the room, 
playing uh, some MMO when they just won, they get an email from uh, someone named Tet, and they are challenged to a game of chess. And I forget how long it says they played the game, but eventually they win against them, but they were like extremely exhausted because it was a very high mental straining game against them. And because they were victorious, uh, Tet was like, if you could live in a world uh, ruled by games, wouldn't you? And they say something along the lines of like, yes, I, if there was a rule like that, or if there was a world like that, we were born in the wrong world. And then all of a sudden, everything is like, all their screens go all wonky and all fuzzy and everything. And then this like childlike, thing creature i don't want to i don't know what god i guess you could say he is technically the god comes out and uh grabs him through the screen and is teleported to a new world called dishboard yes it's called dishboard d-i-s-b-o-a-r-d and there there is a uh thing called the ten covenants which prevents violence and enforces the rules of the game. The Ten Covenants are, number one, all murder, war, and robbery are forbidden in this world. Two, all conflict in this world will be resolved through games. Three, in games, each player will bet something that they agree is of equal value. Four, as long as it doesn't violate Pledge 3, anything may be bet and any game may be played. Five, the challenged party has the right to decide the rules of the game. 6. Any bets made in accordance with the pledges must be upheld. 7. Conflicts between groups would be conducted by designated representatives with absolute authority. 8. Being caught cheating during a game is grounds for an instant loss. 9. In the name of God, the previous rules may never be changed. 10. Let's all have fun and play together. So that is essentially the world that they live in. So he gets a taste for that as he is falling through the sky. And he obviously makes sure that he doesn't die right away. And they are immediately run into like some bandits pretty much. And our next thing you see is all the bandits have lost every article of clothing they have like lost everything they own because essentially they bet all their belongings for uh sora and shiro's lives and they were able to instantly beat them so they find the nearest town where they see a poker game going on because obviously since everything in this world is decided by games the new king is being decided with a poker tournament so he doesn't go into the poker tournament, but someone uh, else challenges him because he looks like he's from like out in the sticks and uh, basically easy prey. And so he gets challenged to a game of poker and obviously easily wins. He even cheated to win. And Shiro even mentions, or Sora, yeah, Shiro mentions that to Sora, you were cheating. But according to the rules, as long as you're not caught, cheating can be allowed. So it's kind of like a loophole, 
kind of like a double-edged sword. Like, you can cheat, but just remember, if you don't, like, if you get away with it, you're good. But if you get caught, instant loss. And so while we're doing this, we meet uh, Stephanie Dola, who is uh, the previous king's daughter, who's in the middle of a poker game, the finals, to become queen or king but obviously in their case queen since they're females uh, game and they let them know that the person who's against them clammy is cheating and before that and just immediately walks off doesn't explain anything just walks off as they had to go and find a hotel for their new beans so they find an inn or more like they find like a barn I think and at this barn Stephanie comes and she doesn't really know who they are but she's like if you knew if she knew uh, they were cheating why didn't you tell her and that's because they knew she was cheating but they didn't know how because they learned that magic exists in this game so Stephanie tries to get them to uh, help her out to become the next king. They do some games to where uh, she loses every single one of them. And she has different penalties brought on to her. I say penalties, but obviously because of the whole betting, like certain things had to happen uh, for equal value. And... If you want to see what happens, you just, you got to watch the episode. <laughs> it's, it's, it's kind of funny. But eventually we kind of learn of the backstory and how they go about the games. Like, and how even things that you think are luck-based aren't actually luck. If you can deduce how the game is played and like, according to basically all this information that even though it doesn't look like they're gathering information, they've, they actually have been gathering um, all this stuff to essentially uh, win all the games. So after beating <laughs> poor Stephanie so many times, uh, he does, Sora and Shiro do, do eventually say, we will take on uh, or take up the throne as king so as clammy is being inaugurated as the king he essentially uh essentially comes in and says hey well why would you want to become a puppet because you use elf magic and points to the elf and she claims like oh that's funny how you planted an elf to think and essentially is basically said uh well, why don't we solve this with the game if you think I'm a liar? So they settle on chess. And at first it seemed like it was going to be like regular chess. And then it kind of moved. And if you guys ever seen Harry Potter, like wizard's chess, where the pieces are alive and they actually come alive and destroy the other pieces. And when... In chess, sometimes you make moves that you purposely sacrifice pieces in order to move forward. 
well, not only do these pieces move, they also have a will of their own because when she, uh, Shiro tried to give commands to set up a piece for a sacrifice, it wouldn't move. That's when Sora realizes it's not exactly a... Uh, it's not chess, it's more like a war game. And so there he all of a sudden starts giving out orders like pawn squad go here knight squad go there king queen what are you doing like all this and of course clammy gets frustrated he's like wait you can't do that and he's like huh what general in war waits for the other person to attack and so she has to use uh magic to try and overpower them by increasing their morale but then sora eventually gets them to switch sides the queen switch sides and cause a revolt and ultimately wins the game. So now Shiro and Sora are now the co-king and queen of uh, well, humanity. I forget exactly what the continent or country is called, but I know the race is called humanity. So one thing I forgot to mention that just now thinking of it, when they got transported here, there were 16 sentient races. And Manatee is ranked 16th. So they are at the very bottom of the bottom. So after they win, they quickly decide to implement a lot new domestic changes. And one of the things they quickly did was take advantage of the 10 pledges. They gather up all the administrators, anyone that works in like any kind of political office or anything like that. And they essentially said, we're going to play rock, paper, scissors. You guys are all going to choose scissors. We're all going to, and then they are going to choose rock and we're, and the winner cannot, or the loser cannot give false information. So by doing this, according to the pledges, now there's no spies here because they cannot report any falsehood. So they took advantage of that, and then obviously with their knowledge, they were able to help rebuild the, all the domestic stuff, all the problems that were going on. And soon after this, this is when they learn of the Beast Kingdom and how, uh, how they are <laughs> basically had their eyes set on the Beast Kingdom because I think... Well, what did he say? He want his like animal eared harem or kingdom or something like that. He really likes animal eared girls. So he was on his way to attack the animal kingdom. And while before he could actually go there, he realizes he has virtually no information about the werebeasts, which is what uh, the animal kingdom is. So in order to set out to try and find more things about it, they end up running into uh, a flugel who I believe they're ranked like three or four. They're like, they're in the top five. They were one of the most strongest and vicious races during the war. But now, even when, like, war and all that 
has gone, they obviously had to change their fangs and now are obsessed with knowledge. They always want knowledge. They're always seeking more knowledge. So when a basically floating library comes in uh, in front of them, owned by Jibriel, I think is how you pronounce her name, uh, they challenge her to a game in order for full access to her library. In exchange, she can, like, the bet was a tablet computer that had over 10,000 books in an unheard language. And, of course, that unheard language is Japanese because they were from Japan and came to this world. So she's like, huh, I know over, like, thousands of languages. There's no And she looked at it and she's like, immediately got excited because she's like wait what is this language what are all these you mean there's 10,000 more of these in this little and essentially she's like okay yeah uh these are valuable so the game they played is actually I find probably one of my favorite games they played I really actually enjoyed the chess game but this one is probably one of my favorite matches uh that they did and it's they play a game of materialization of word chain where their spoken words will materialize or disappear from the environment so if you don't know what that game is say you said horse so a horse would appear and horse ends with e so then you would have to say something with e like elephant so an elephant would appear and say you uh, ends with T, trees. If there are trees around, they would disappear. If there were no trees, they would appear. So that's what it means by disappear and appear. If there was something already there, it would disappear. If it wasn't there, it would reappear. And they also had rules like you had 30 seconds to respond. If you weren't able to respond verbally, uh, you forfeit the game. So the whole thing really started out with a bang. Literally, as he started with the word atomic bomb. And yeah, if you know what an atomic bomb is, huge ass explosion happens. But luckily, Jibriel said some spell that was basically a, a shield that protected everyone. And she's like, huh, you're lucky I could have had that end because you could die. But essentially, they were like in, it was, it, it's weird to explain because they were kind of like in another world. So if they died, they would come back to like this real world and everything would be fine. But obviously, if you died, you forfeit your turn essentially because you would never be able to do your turn or whatever so even if you die a second before another person you lose so that's why sometimes if you said like a monster or something you had to defend yourself essentially as well as try to think of all these words so it's a pretty dangerous game but also I think really cool because you're playing a word game to try to get an edge by bringing up either like hostile things or 
or stuff to help protect you. And then there were a couple times where they, you see them just like chowing down. Like they made a little jokes about some of the things that they grabbed or disappeared and stuff like that. It's, it's really entertaining to watch. It's probably, I think it's, it's episode six. So if you have to watch anything, watch episode six. It's a very fun one. There's only 12 episodes in this, by the way. It's a short one-season anime, but it, it, it's so good. And essentially what happens, like I said, there's spoilers alert. He wins, obviously, because we're only at episode six. <laughs> Be ashamed if he lost. But he essentially started getting rid of all the layers of the world like the lithosphere the mantle the outer crust the inner crust the core well no they kept the core because they needed the core to like kill everyone <laughs> so they literally that's what they did because they the world or the jibriel because of all his stuff that he was going after was basically just like fake Thing to divert her attention away from all this stuff and she didn't realize it and they get to a point where they're essentially in space so they can't talk or do anything and she's like ha this is over she can use magic to write and she wrote something but uh Sora predicted that and had something prepared for what she would write and because of that uh, she ends up like dying because she fell into the core or something some explosion happened or I'm pretty sure she fell into the core like the core of the world and obviously like died because of either the pressure from outer space the lack of oxygen the extremely high temperatures of the core whatever she ended up dying and this, uh, she found out she lost from the very first moment he said atomic bomb because that was something in his world, but not this world. So just because it wasn't in this world, he learned that uh, certain words, even though may not exist in this world, would work in the game. So it just kind of showed him of how far he thought ahead so now with this they are able to get access to the library and start investigating what exactly is the like the game of uh the werebeast and everything so after this uh like i said they are investigating and they found out the werepeace have been undefeated for half a century, always wiping the memories of the opponent who loses the game. So we learned that the previous king actually challenged them eight times and lost a lot of territory, pretty much all the territory until the final little bit. And they were like, well, he kept challenging them, but then why did they stop? And they kept looking for clues and eventually they find his diary. And so 
one of the reasons that uh, he didn't have his memory erased was he found out the secret to uh, the Weird Beast games. And so they had to make it, instead of erasing his memories, they had to make it so that he could never tell anyone. And he didn't. He recorded the information and in his private journal that would be later passed down to the new ruler because there is no law or the pledge or whatever doesn't work on someone who is dead. So it was basically a loophole again, but also kind of smart thinking on the king that he discovered the weakness to the werebeast and he essentially left it all his information to the next king. He left him all the tools he needed in order to beat the animal kingdom and reclaim the land. So with this information, we start, uh, or they start to go to the uh, embassy of the beast kingdom to go and meet up with uh, the ambassadors of the werebeasts. Sora and Shiro challenges Ino and Uzna Izuna to a game between nations of Elikia. Elikia? That's the human nation that I couldn't remember. In the Eastern Union of all of the land on the continent, which the Eastern Union is just what they call the uh, werebeasts land or whatever you want to call it based on the four games that the elves lost against the werebeast it is deduced that the werebeast made a video game that would allow them to cheat meaning that the werebeast cannot actually read minds uh that's what they essentially found out and threatening to leak this information to the elves if their challenge is not accepted sora and shiro wages Amenity's king race peace in Elika's territory. So essentially they made it saying like, hey, we found out the rules of your game, how you have been going about it, because even the elves who are one of the highest races, higher at least than the werebeasts, still couldn't do it. And now that they have this, they had to accept this challenge of them betting Amanity's race piece against their territory. Otherwise, if they don't accept it, they're going to go and tell the elves exactly what is going on. And the reason why they got in that position and they're wondering like, well, why can't they just challenge them to the game? Nothing says, even if you challenge them to a game, nothing says you have to accept it. So you could be challenged all you want, but as long as you don't accept it, they can't do anything to you. But now that they knew their weakness, they had to accept this challenge with this rate wager because if they didn't, they're like, well, if you don't, we'll let the elves know. And now the elves will know your secret and you will be pretty much doomed because everyone, they will eventually challenge you as well and when you need supplies or when all your stuff runs low or whatever happens and the elves are going to be there to 
pretty much destroy you. And one of the significant pieces about betting the race piece is that as of right now, every race of the 16 races are under the rule or the protection of the Ten Covenants of like the no murdering, robbery, wars, anything like that. If they bet a race piece and they lose, that essentially means they are no longer under the protections of the covenants. So they are essentially not treated as sentient beings anymore. So they could become slaves. They could just get their whole country wiped out. Anything could really happen to them. So that's why this is such a big deal as well. And also another kind of like bait to the werebeast. Like, hey, are you really going to turn this down? Because we're betting a race piece. And if it finds out that you decline this, people are going to think something's up. That their information about your game is true because... Why wouldn't you accept this bet? Because you're essentially, you would get property of a whole race. So that's another way he kind of sort of trapped them into it. So after this, we are shown uh, the next episode with uh, Shiro, who is like going through some fuzzy memories Something doesn't quite feel right. And she, like, asks everyone. uh, She doesn't even know exactly herself what is going on until uh, she slowly starts to uh, remember Sora, her brother. And immediately... uh, She's trying to figure out, like, why all this is happening. Like, why can't she remember what is going on? And when she even asked Stephanie or Jibriel about stuff that happened, like, hey, do you remember playing? And Stephanie's like, yeah, I remember losing to you and having to fall in love with you, blah, blah, blah. And Jibriel's like, oh, yeah, uh, we even fought together and you won. And she's like, no, I didn't win. And... Slowly, they're able to start getting like these fragment uh, memories back to each other. And Jibiel finds out that there is a magic being placed in the this like uh, the w- bedroom, the royal chambers. And while they're like trying to figure out what's going on, Stephanie trips on two sets of three discs on the floor. And she finds out that these discs are uh, Othello or Othello? Othello pieces. If you don't know what uh, Othello is, it's that game. You st- it's like a square board. You start out with uh, there's a white side and a black side to each of these chips. You start out with a two by two square of white, black, black, white. I believe is how it goes, like white, black on top, and then a black, white. So the colors are diagonal. 
And every time you would go and you would put a piece down, so on your turn, if you put a white piece next to uh, one of the black pieces, whatever, all the black pieces in between the two white pieces get flipped over to white. And so then it's your opponent's turn to do it and you keep doing it until you fill the entire board up and whoever has uh, the most colored pieces at the end wins. I hope I described that as good as I can. <laughs> if you don't know, just look it up. It's O-T-H-E-L-L-O. -L -L -O. That's the game they were played on. And so not only does Shiro have to look at this, she has to think, because she can't see the game board either. So this is, this is pretty good of her to know exactly what her brother was thinking what pieces would, how the game would have progressed and where she would have had to put the pieces. And when she push, uh, puts all the pieces to come back, uh, Sora comes back and Clammy is found in basically a comatose state. And we learn that the bet was that... For all the pieces like missing, they would uh, the other person would lose their memories and it would get shared to the other person. And if you lose all your pieces, all your memory would be lost, essentially making you like an empty husk. However, uh, the winner and then the winner of the game got to decide what to do with the other person's memory. So. If they wanted to, they could essentially leave the person in this comatose state as is. But of course, Sora had a different plan and instead returned all her memories, including the memories uh, she got in the game. So now they essentially, between Sora and Clammy and I think Shiro, I don't know. I don't think Shiro shared the memories. I think it was just between those two. Uh, those two essentially know everything about each other. And this is just the setup for what is to come. Because, you know, he always got to play two steps ahead like a true gamer. Next, after we had their little game... Uh... <laughs> They, once they have all their memories, now Clamming can finally, like, trust them because she knows what he's planning and she's like, oh, you actually are, like, thinking this through. You're not just, like, winging it. You're not just some random guy that just got lucky or whatever. And so... This is when they kind of formally introduce each other and uh, how Clammy's like backstory got brought up as well of like how she was in uh, Elvengard during the Great War. Uh, it, or was it during the Great War? Something of how uh, elves actually kept like human slaves 
uh, during the Great War, or humanity slaves, I should say, and she was one of them to uh, fail, feel, fail. I don't know the elves how to pronounce that elf's name, but they end up growing up like sisters instead, and Phil is always like the uh, overprotective one, always trying to make sure she is taken care of and all this stuff. We get we get a, a little bit of backstory of just exactly how everything is. So after that, uh, because they know of uh, their plan, they go and visit the embassy of the Eastern Union once again. And before the game begins, Eno informs uh, an observant public audience that the Rager will be Abanity's king race peace in Elkia's territory versus the Eastern Union's entire land. And so Clammy is in charge of watching any monitor for any chase of any trace of cheating, just in case. You never know what other tricks they may have up their sleeve. And everyone else is transported into the virtual reality that represents Tokyo. And as soon as they enter, uh, Sora and Shiro end up getting agriophobia, which is, if I'm not mistaken, like fear of like crowded places or public places. Basically, very, very high social anxiety of being in a crowded place with uh, like normal people and all that stuff. So it was kind of a, a funny way to end the episode. So beginning obviously with uh, the very next episode, they snap out of it once they are reminded it is a virtual field and that they explain that the challenge would be a game of cops and robbers where they will use the, and I not, the lovey-dovey guns that shoot heart-shaped bullets against the NPCs in the form of animal girls. So essentially what happens is you have to hit your opponents with this gun and you can turn them over to your side and once all sides have been um, completely like dominated or swapped over, uh, you win. And Sora had uh, Sora's side consists of Sora, Shiro, Stephanie, and uh, Jibri, while the uh, uh, Beastmen's side only had their princess. But they f- said it was fine. Um, I believe the princess' name was like Izumi. Oh no, Izuna, Izuna. That's that's what it was. So during this game, they are trying to figure out exactly what's going on and how essentially like what the werebeasts can actually do with their like sixth sense. They can track to see if uh, their sixth sense, I believe, like lets them see heart rates are like in everything like the um like the thermal whatever of like people so they can easily tell if people are lying or somehow i don't know exactly how but they can always find out like where you are in this game 
So before this, they are in a park discussing some some like strategy meeting, and they have like a whole bunch of stuff written out. Basically, it looks like code. And once everything was figured out, they're like, okay. And Stephanie is in the dark. We're actually in the dark. We don't know what's going on. And so they finally go and decide to go on the offensive. So as they do, first Shiro and Izuna end up fighting off with each other. And she gets very close of already winning and forces Izuna to drop out of a window where... Sora was already there anticipating and shot a bullet where she just barely manages to dodge at having the bullet like hit her clothes or one of her like kimono dresses, something like that. And they're both falling and eventually she was able to get uh, Shiro under her control. And so now it is Izuna Shiro versus uh, Sora and company. So they end up getting to this like final battle, and it was actually a pretty intense fight. Like it's actually, this is actually probably. Mm, do I want to say it was the best? I I just really like that materialization game. The only problem is it was so short. You didn't get to see much of this. Where this one, the like both had their episodes dedicated to it. But you didn't really get to see much of all the stuff happen in the materialization game. Where this one, you got to see more of the fighting. And like it actually felt like you were watching a like arcade game, FPS game, a virtual reality FPS game. So this probably would be the best game fight that they had. But I really, I just really enjoyed the concept of that materialization game. I just think that is really cool so this one if you guys are wondering this one is episode 11 if you guys just want to see some of the uh, games that they're fighting I think the chess one was like episode 3 or was it yeah it was like end of episode 3 then going into episode 4 was the chess game uh, 6 was the word game and then 11 is the Cops and Robbers game. So, it's kind of hard to describe a action felt scene with just going like, oh, and then he shot, and then she dodged, and then he's like, oh, but in that case. So, it's easier if you just watch this. That's why I'm kind of giving you the episode numbers. But, essentially, like I mentioned, there's plenty of spoilers ahead. So, if you... Really don't want to know how this ends because I didn't know how this end until the end. Uh, she knocks out both Sora and uh, Ghibli. And Stephanie was knocked out like long ago, or at least they thought. And one of the uh, things is because she had the beast sense, she could sense like killing intent or... Uh, anything like that. That's why she was always able to dodge everyone and everything. And she thought she got everyone until at the very end, Stephanie shoots her in the back of the head and she lost. And she's like, wait, how did, like, 
how did this happen? And it's found out that uh, Stephanie was piggybacking on an NPC character because before this, Sora bound Stephanie to the Ten Covenants. I don't know why I can't say that word. In order to hide her intent, while Shiro calculated the movements of the NPCs in order to hide Stephanie's location. So everything they did was to draw her to this exact location to where the Covenants would activate. And like he said, after like 10 minutes or something like that, lift up your gun, keep your eyes closed, and fire. So everything was predicted to go to this exact moment and yeah they were able to figure out the coding of the npcs and beat the werebeast at their own game so as soon as this happens they essentially win and get all the land of uh the eastern trade union or whatever they were called the werebeast land but they found out that uh, the Eastern Union, that's what it's called. They found out that they moved everything off the land to their islands because the Covenant said only the land on the continent. But Shiro was already, or Sora already predicted this. And uh, when the Shrine Maiden comes, the actual, like, ruler, I guess you could say, or the, like, top queen I, I mean they called her a shrine maiden but she's essentially the ruler because now even though they won the elves will know about this because obviously they know that the, they had an elf watching the game so even though they won they also know that they are going to be in trouble when uh, the elves come to attack so the Shrine Maiden challenges Sora to a game, and Sora decides, let's just have a game of heads or tails. The Shrine Maiden will choose the answer with the coin flip in the air, and uh, they bet on the Eastern Union would share the resources with Elkia, but they... Uh, if they won, and if the Eastern Union won, they would uh, keep the ability to self-rule. So, essentially, she was giving up, saying, like, yeah, uh, Elkio will eventually take over the Eastern Union, but at least with this, they'll stay with the ability to uh, self-rule, but be under... Elkia. So they go on a coin flip and she uses her beast blood sense, whatever, blood break, I think it was called, to know exactly how it will flip and how it will land. And she says tails. And then when the coin lands, it gets stuck in a crack and it doesn't end up heads or tails. And they're like, oh, what do we do? Do we both lose? Do we both win? And Sora has this poor acting thing, and essentially they decide that they will win, and they end up becoming essentially like an alliance nation of, I believe they call, they just call it Elkia, 
Elkia's Eastern Union. So the Werebeasts are under Elkia's control, but they have the right to self-govern. So it's basically like a kingdom and uh, what is it? What's it called? Uh, a vessel, uh, vassal, vessel state to where they're their own thing, but they're under the rule of this kingdom, but the kingdom has no say in their government. If you guys understand any of, that, of how I explain any of that, if not, I'm, I'm really sorry. And so after this, uh, Sora also explains that if you remember that Othello game, one of the also, besides the memory thing, they also had the right to modify a memory of one of their subordinates. So if Clammy won, she could have modified like Shiro's uh, mind or any of them to say like, oh, Sora never existed, so they never would have known. But he used it on the elf chick, Fail, Fail, whatever. I'm really bad with names. You guys, you guys know this already, and gave her false information about the werebeasts to the elves. So now the reason why the werebeasts, or the at least the shrine maiden, challenged them and everything is because they're like, oh, the elves know the secret, and now he's just like, yeah, by the way, they don't actually know Jack, and so they were all tricked by him. And he just just wanted the resources, basically, to help both uh, cities to uh, do this. And when the Shrine Maiden asked, like, why are you doing this? And he's like, well, don't you remember Covenant 10? Everyone to have fun. And he, they revealed their grand goal is to challenge the god Tet. Because they believed that the Ten Covenants would allow them to unite all 16 races in order to challenge Tet to a game. Hence, 16 pieces, if you didn't know, on a chessboard, each side has 16 pieces to correlate with the 16 races. So, essentially, if you beat all the races, you have the right to challenge God. And after this... After, like, everyone's, like, all, like, shocked and whatnot, uh, Sora and Shiro ask the Shrine Maiden, they're like, hey, you're a Shrine Maiden, that means you should have one, right? And they uh, essentially mean a god, and she's like, yes, we do, and uh, we're introduced to Old Deuce, the first ranked godly race for the next game. And that's where it ends. Right there. It ends with them basically challenging the closest beings to God without being gods. <laughs> the strongest ranks, sentient race, uh, races of Dishboard. And they challenged them to a game. And that's where it ended. That's where it ended. It's like, are you kidding me? Oh, the movie... The movie they get, uh, if you guys want to watch the movie as well, I highly suggest you watch the movie. It's pr it's a pretty good movie. It is a prequel to the uh, to this. So the movie is about the war that went on and how all the races uh, were essentially 
killing each other and how uh, the world got so bad that humanity couldn't even like breathe on the surface. They had to uh, be in like underground caves and they were just barely trying to survive. And it's a pretty good movie. I don't want to spoil too much of it because one, we're not talking about that. Uh, maybe that could be a future episode. So I highly suggest you go and watch it. But No Game, No Life is a really good anime. It It's always a fun, it's always fun for me to watch because it is based on games. I will admit there is uh, some fan service built into it uh, here and there. So if you absolutely hate fan service, it might put you off. But still give it a try. It's really good. Or at least at the very minimum, watch episodes 3, 4, 6, and 11. And 12, I guess. Just to see the ending. Because those are the ones mainly where like the big games happen. Uh, the rest are just like part of the story. Which are equally important. Don't get me wrong. But if you just want to see the games that they played. The quote unquote action of this. Episodes 3 and 4 are like the chess games. Episode 6 is the world materialization game. And then episode 11 and 12 is uh, the virtual reality and the conclusion of the virtual reality game. So, if you had to only watch, I guess, I mean, that's a third of the, that's a third of the season. If you're going to watch those four episodes, just watch it all. Come on. <laughs> but don't, if you watch episode one, like I said, I will warn you, it, the art style is very unique. It is very different colored than your standard anime I've never seen any other anime colored like this. So if it puts you off, just try to get at least to the second episode. Because when I first watched it, I was like, oh, I'm like, this art style, I'm not going to like this. I'm not going to like, and now it's, it's always included in like my top five probably favorite animes is no game no life i wish it had more seasons and i'm pretty sure there was a rumor season two i don't know exactly like how uh, credible that was if it's still in the works or not but that's gonna be it for me today i'm solo so these episodes may be a little shorter because surprisingly it's actually hard to do this by myself without it Without having my co-host to banter back at me to argue about every single thing. <laughs> oh, I'm just kidding. But I do like the banter and everything. So I hope you are in, you guys are enjoying these solo podcasts. At least uh, for right now. Obviously, at, at least I hope this isn't a permanent thing. He's just very busy currently with his IRL stuff because if I didn't mention it before he did just move as well so he's got he's got a lot on his plate right now so that's also something going on but I may try to uh, bring in some other people then just so we have uh just so we can have more people and it's not just uh, 
e-talking so you guys can have just another voice like you guys are used to. But my question of the day to you would be what, I guess, what game are you confident in that you think you could challenge to win or if you can make up a game like the live action chess game if you could think of like some fantasy type game what would you want to play real life dnd that would be a very long game and i'm not sure how you would win that i guess if you did like one of those adventuring books you could but that would take a very long time <laughs> but that'll be it for this episode so don't forget us to don't forget to show us some love and support at patreon.com slash so we can bring you even better and more consistent podcasts so we can focus more on it. <laughs> and of course, don't forget to follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Weebspawn. And you can contact us at Weebspawn at gmail.com. And we also have a fan subreddit, Weebspawn. But that'll be it for me today. Thank you guys so much for listening. I've been your host, Bobby. And I will see you next time when I... Weep spawn. <laughs>